All right, all right, all right, everybody. Well, how wasn't worship amazing, everybody? Yeah. This is a time, a really, really exciting time. Pastor AJ just mentioned it's Holy Week or Passion Week that we see in the scriptures. This is a time in the week, last week before Jesus' life, that we get to especially focus on his sacrifice and his passion for us. In this, past, in this last week of his life, amazing, amazing and troubling things happened to Jesus, and yet he still set his face towards Jerusalem and endured the cross. And so in this moment, we're going to take a moment to look at what his, his Passion Week really started in. And it started in the triumphal entry. Where, would you turn to John chapter 12 with me as we read and take a moment to acknowledge Christ? John chapter 12, verse 13 through 15. John chapter 12, verse 13 through 15. And it says this. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, verse 15, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. An amazing passion portion of scripture. What I want to title this message today is Treaties and Triumphs. Treaties and Triumphs. My name is Tellus Fuller. I'm the youth pastor here, and I'm really, really excited to share this message with you. I want to talk about three things, and those three things are our reception, his triumph, and his peace. Treaties and Triumphs. Will you pray with me real quick? Father, we invite you into this place. God, we acknowledge you as king and as savior. Thank you for this last week. Thank you for your triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Thank you for setting your face and obeying the father. God, would you open our eyes and our ears to see and hear everything that you spirit want to speak to us. And God, would I decrease so that you may increase. Father, we love you so much. And more importantly, you love us. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I got a chance to go to the Bible Museum recently. I don't know if you guys have had an opportunity to go, but it's in D.C., a museum that opened recently. And this Bible Museum has a bunch of exhibits, a bunch of walkthroughs and history and stories and exhibitions of the history, the use, um, Bible and media, and, and everything in between. And as I went to the Bible Museum, um, I noticed a really, really cool exhibit that was filled with Bible verses and showing all of the most popular Bible verses. And, and specifically, it was taking data from the YouVersion Bible app. Some of you probably have that app. This, this Bible app, that's the biggest Bible app in the world, downloaded countless millions of times for people in the world. And as they're exampling 
showing an example of the Bible and history and what it means, they're actually taking data and showing data from the YouVersion Bible app and, and presenting it to us. And there was a really, really interesting fact that I saw at this museum, and it was the most shared Bible verse in the world. The most shared Bible verse in the world in this past year. I want you to just think about it in your mind of what do you think the most shared Bible verse in the world is this past year? As I was about to click, I was going through my mind and I was thinking, oh, it's got to be like a John 3.16, right? It has to be, right? Or it has to be in Romans or, or maybe it's like Genesis or people might be freaking out. It's probably Revelation, right? It's, people probably think it's the end. It's probably Revelation. But the most shared Bible verse in all of the world is John 16.33. And let me read it for you. This is Jesus talking. I have shared and said these things to you that in me, you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but take heart for I have overcome the world. The most shared verse in the entire world is one that's saying, God, I'm drowning. God, I need peace. Has anyone felt like they need peace in this past year? If you felt like that, if the world has felt like that, if, if people have been sharing that, I know people have been receiving that. So I want us to take a look at the Prince of Peace and his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. To take a look and see this triumph that Jesus has created and also this treaty. And when you hear the word treaty, you might have a little hesitation and say, well, did God really create a treaty with us? And if you stick with me for these next 25 minutes, hopefully we can see the Prince of Peace entering Jerusalem and going to a cross, not just for our sake, but for his glory. And not just for that, but also that we may have peace. You see, I think that peace really is the goal of all of our lives. It's the goal. Whatever issues that we've been facing recently, they're all just a, 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 a roadblock until we get to peace. And all of the things that we want are really just a means until we get to the end of peace. If we want a better job, it's not necessarily because we want better stuff, but the better stuff we think are going to give us more peace. If we want less issues in our marriage, it's not because we technically want to show it off to the world, but it's because we want a, what, peaceful marriage. We want to live a peaceful life. And all of these things that we do really, I believe, are the end to get to peace, especially in this past year. Jesus has this triumphal entry, this passion week, as people call it, this holy week, as some others call it. And as we get to this moment of the triumphal entry, we see that Jesus is entering Jerusalem during a very important time in Jewish culture. And this time is the Passover. And the Passover is a moment where the Jews in, are coming to a sacrifice to God. And the Passover, if we remember way back in the Old Testament, is a, is a celebration in a moment 
for the people of God to remember when he brought them out of Egypt's captivity, the Israelites, and actually passed over the house. But the reason in the way that he passed over the house is, is that they would take the blood of a lamb and they would rub it over their door, doorpost and the angel of the Lord would come and he would pass over every single house except, for, or he would pass over every house that had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. It was said that maybe some two million Jews would come to Jerusalem at this time. And Jesus had already drawn a crowd. And these people, these Jews were expecting some type of savior. They'd seen him do miracles, seen him heal people, seen him preach with power, seen him give wisdom, seen him open up the scriptures. But at the end of the day, what these people and the Jews were really hoping is that they were hoping that he would be some type of Davidic Messiah that would come and free them from the rule of Rome. That they weren't necessarily expecting a, a spiritual awakening as much as a political awakening. And they welcome Jesus. And this is our first point, is our reception. Jesus comes into Jerusalem and they are shouting, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is, uh, 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 blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And they come out to meet him, which I think is a very interesting uh, passage of scripture that we see. And, and we see the triumphal entry is actually one story, one of the few stories that's mentioned in every single gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record the triumphal entry. And, and the Jews come out to meet him, it says. And start crying, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. It makes me think of the anticipation that these people had when they saw their potential Messiah coming. I have a niece who's almost a year and a half old. And when I think of the word anticipation, the first thing that comes to my mind is my niece and when she comes over to the house. And when she comes over and sees, uh, uh, like, me, she's like, oh, okay, you're kind of cool, Uncle Tells. That's fine. When she comes and sees my siblings, that's fine. But the one person that my niece cannot wait to see is her grandma. I don't know if your, your nieces or, or your cousins are like mine, but she will come into the house being carried, and she does not care if you have her favorite toy, if you're singing her a song, if you have food in your hand, if you have a good drink. She will come into the house literally being carried, and she'll be like, looking around corners, looking upstairs, looking everywhere, and looking for Granny C. <laughs> That's what she's doing. She is waiting and saying, where's Grandma? I, I, I have an anticipation. Why? Because she's been there often. She thinks that something's coming, and she has a, maybe an understanding that maybe Grandma's here, and Grandma's my favorite. And these Jews had, had maybe a little bit of an understanding saying, where's Jesus? Wait, wait, where's this Messiah? Where's this, this Savior who might come and, and free me from everything that's been troubling me? They had an anticipation of looking to see what God would do. And, and I honestly think that anticipation is a muscle that we could work on a lot more in the church. I think it is. Because if we see the, the, the Jews receiving their king, coming out to meet him, hoping that he would do something, it's an anticipation that I'm not sure what's going to happen, but Jesus is here, so something amazing has to happen. I don't know what he's going to do, but he's going to do something amazing. I don't know where grandma is, but I know she's here. Do you anticipate that God's going to do something amazing in your life? Do you anticipate that God's going to do something amazing in this service? 
I know that this is the day that the Lord has made, so I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Not just because he made it, but because God has a purpose for every day. And some of these people knew that. They knew that if God made this day, there's something to be done this day. And if Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, I can't wait to see what happens. They had this anticipation, crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. They were looking for him to do something, and they weren't sure what was going to happen, but they knew that something was going to happen. They were crying, Hosanna, as Pastor A.J. mentioned, this save now cry, looking for God to do something. And it's interesting because because palm branches that they were grabbing really are like an, uh, 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 an homage to what happened in, in, in the Old Testament in Judges. There was a uh, judge and a prophetess named Deborah. Deborah was the only female judge that Israel ever had. And as Israel was taken captive again, and as they were running away from God again, and as they weren't obeying God again, there was this judge that was raised up in Deborah. And she was told, or it was said that she was sat under a palm tree of Deborah. And as she sat under this palm tree, she received this this almost revelation from the Lord, this strategy to get the people of Israel out of captivity and into God's will for them. She comes and receives this moment, and, and as we see Deborah receiving this plan of victory, we also know that palm trees are a tree that grows in the desert. A palm tree defies all odds on where it should grow and yet grows anyway. And we see that the people of Jerusalem take these palm branches and lay it at the feet of Jesus and wave them in the air, and they lay their cloaks on the ground. And it's a symbol of victory and a symbol of, 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 of this resilience to grow in the desert that they lay at Jesus's feet. There underneath the palm tree is when Deborah got this understanding. And as they receive their king, it's interesting because this is the first time that Jesus has really allowed himself to be called king. Jesus, whenever he would go and heal somebody, whenever he would go and save somebody, whenever he would go and heal somebody, more often than not, he was the savior who would say, all right, I did this, but shh, don't tell anybody. And when we see that, a lot of the times we wonder like, why didn't Jesus want to be, like, this seems like a really bad election strategy for him to say, don't tell anybody. And yet he, he continuously tells people, keep it to yourself. And in this story, we see that Jesus is met by cries and and hundreds, maybe thousands of people calling him king. And he doesn't tell them to stop. They embrace him as their king. They tried to install him as a king earlier and Jesus rejected it. and And yet this time, Jesus accepts it. It's why? Because Jesus knew that this was his time. It says in Galatians, in the fullness of time. And this was the fullness of time that Jesus came and was ready to do what he came to do. He was ready to die. And he was ready to be called king. He was ready to be acknowledged as who he has always been. And so they lay their palm branches out before him. They lay their coats before him. And I love this story because palm branches and coats are not actually that significant. Like they're not that valuable. And when you expect a king to come, 
You would expect people to start laying really, really valuable things at his feet. And yet we see that the Jews are actually laying just whatever they had on them at the time. They were just grabbing branches and laying it at his feet. They were just taking off coats and laying it at his feet. And what this tells me is that God is not looking for some extravagant welcome. He's just looking for whatever you have. Whatever you have is all God needs. And these people start grabbing tree branches, start grabbing coats. And and this is a great truth because if whatever we have is all God wants, that means that there's no excuse. And the bad news is if whatever you have is all God wants, that means that there's no excuse. (laughs) It's a good thing when you feel like you don't have a lot. And it's a bad thing when you feel like you have a lot. He wants everything. He wants whatever I have. Whatever you have is all God wants. In order to receive their king, they had to release for their king. They start laying these things down at his feet. And sometimes I think that God actually values quantity over quality. Some of you might shudder at that, but I'm not talking about that he wants us to give up him our worst. I'm saying that he just wants all that you have. And some of us shrink back from giving God all that we have because we don't think it's valuable. We don't think it's worth it. God, you, you wouldn't want this family. This family is dysfunctional. This family doesn't work right. This family is still trying to get our stuff together. God, you wouldn't want this heart. This heart has been broken a lot. This heart doesn't trust many people. This heart is actually kind of fractured, and I'm trying to put it back together. God, this heart sometimes wants you one month and doesn't want you the next month. God, God you don't really want this money because this money isn't a lot of money, and, and there are a lot of people who have a lot more money, and so maybe you would want to ask them for theirs because they have something that's maybe just a little bit more easy to receive than the little that I have. We don't want to give it to God. We don't want to release for the king. And sometimes that means we don't receive our king. They brought palm branches and laid it at his feet. And this actually, I don't think is Jesus's only triumphal entry. I'm going to take us back to Matthew chapter two really quick. There's Matthew chapter two, verse one and two, and then verse 11. And I'll read it for you. It says this in Matthew chapter two. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east come to Jerusalem saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. And if we scroll down a little bit or turn the page, we'll go to verse, verse 11. And it says this, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We see two different moments when Jesus was received as king, one at the beginning of his life and one towards the end of his life. And the interesting thing that I see is both instances when Jesus is received as king, he was also brought gifts. You notice that. Now, we wouldn't necessarily call palm branches and coats gifts, but their reception, remember, was all that they had is all that he wanted. 
We see that wise men come and receive their king with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we see that common men come and receive their king with palm branches and coats. Sometimes we think that all that we have is not enough. But the beautiful thing is wise men brought valuable things that common men brought seemingly insignificant things. And Jesus receives them both. That whatever you have is all God wants. They brought palm branches and coats and laid it at his feet. And Jesus accepts both offerings. Jesus was received with gifts. And sometimes we neglect to receive him because we don't think that what we have is valuable, But whatever you have, all we need to do is bring it to him to lay it down at his feet. And who knows what God would do? Who knows what God would do if you would just release that child and stop trying to hold, it on, hold on to that kid because you think that you need to fix them a little bit more? Who knows what God would do if you would release that money and stop holding it for yourself and start being generous and not just tithing? Who knows what God would do if you would take that family situation and stop trying to fix it yourself and bring everything together yourself and stop trying to make this this picture-perfect family and give it to him? Who knows what God would do if you would give him the business? Who knows what God would do if you would give him your heart? All you have is all he wants. And we see that the Jews are laying these coats and these palm branches down at his feet. And I remember the prophet Joel says, come and return to the Lord with all of your heart. Not with some of your heart, but with all of your heart, return to the Lord. God is asking for all of what we have, not just some of what we have. And God will never, here's a beautiful truth, that God will never ask you for more than what you've got, but we, he will ask you for all that you have. God will never ask you for more than what you've got, but he will ask you for all that you have. He is blessed by our devotion to him, not the quality of our gifts for him. Our reception, which leads into his triumph. How does God triumph? Treaties and triumphs. How does God really triumph? Well, God doesn't triumph in the way that the world triumphs. God doesn't take over in the way that the world takes over. We see that in Roman tradition, that Roman commanders, when they would come back from a war, from a battle, they would triumph. They would come and celebrate. They would come and have a party, but it would be much different than the way that Jesus did. Watch this. In a Roman triumph, the Roman commanders would come back and they would come back after their military conquest. They would come back with a purple and a gold triumphal or toga. They would come back with a four horse chariot with his army proceeding around him. And he would offer sacrifices to the God Jupiter as soon as he got there. And we see that this was an example of power and of might, that they would show everybody, we won, we did it. And we see that when Jesus triumphs, that he comes not after his conquest, but before his conquest. We see that when Jesus triumphs, he comes not clothed in royal colors, but actually soon to be clothed in blood. We see that when Jesus triumphs, he doesn't come on four horse chariots, but he comes on a donkey. We see that when Jesus triumphs, he triumphs not by sacrificing to false gods, but sacrificing himself, the one true God, for a ransom of many. 
We see that Jesus triumphs differently than the world triumphs. And to be honest, differently than we would want him to triumph. I mean, we would love for Jesus to triumph in a worldly way. We would love for Jesus to end the pandemic the week after it started. We would love for Jesus for us to wake up and our sin patterns are gone. We would love for Jesus to just say, you know what? You've been having a really tough month. You know what? It's gone. But Jesus triumphs differently. He doesn't triumph the way that we want him to or the way that we think that he should. And he doesn't triumph by making war, but he triumphs by making peace. The triumph. God shows his glory, not in worldly majesty, but in heavenly meekness. We often want God to show off. And the more I think about showing off and, and presenting in this big, majestic way, is, is the, the, the more that I realize that people show off, the more that I realize that people are really just covering up. Have you noticed that? That the people who show off the most are the people who cover up the most? That they are just trying to produce and show and, and project this image of themselves that's perfect and, and not affected by worldly troubles. And, and money is the only thing that I need. And, and my relationship is perfect. And, and my job, I've never been happier. And, and my wife, oh my gosh, she's the best. And my husband, he never does anything. And, and, and we all of a sudden end up projecting and, 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 and personifying and, and putting this image out into the world. And sometimes we want God to do that. And Jesus had this godly confidence, which I often think is sometimes confused and indistinguishable from meekness. God was confident. Jesus was confident. Jesus walked in that city confidently. And we see that his triumph looks different than what we want him to be. If we want to relate with Christ's majesty, we have to relate with his methods. What are his methods? That he chose to come, not as the world comes, but in a heavenly, divine fashion, with meekness. I honestly believe that our culture never got past the show-and-tell phase. Remember in school, show-and-tell, you'd go and you'd bring a, a, a bunny and you'd say, this is, this is Thumper, right? And you'd be like, he, I love him and he eats rabbits and he stinks up my house, right? I, I was homeschooled. I have no idea what people, <laughs> I have no idea what people do for, for, for show and tell. I'm just making this stuff up. But when I see in TV shows, I would see people do show and tell, right? And show and tell people would come and, and they would show off all these different parts of their life and, and they would show off and say, look what I have and look what I can do and look how great this is and, and look how great that is. And, and it's almost this like natural comparison competition, it's like, hey, look at this, and let me tell you how great it is. But I don't think we've graduated from show and tell. We've just switched methods. We've just went from classrooms to captions. We've just switched from animals to Instagrams. We've just switched our methods of show and tell. And the beautiful thing about show and tell is that God did not just go and tell his love from prophets, from books, or even from the disciples, but he showed it to us on a cross. 
That God wasn't just screaming his love from heaven, but he was showing it to us on earth. Can we be a church that doesn't just tell about our genius, but tells others about his grace? Can we be a church that doesn't just show off our money, but shows off his mercy? Can we be a church that changes the method in which we are showing and telling? Not about our glory, not about our triumph, not about a worldly triumph, but a heavenly triumph. The world does not need more of your worldly triumphs. I'm sorry to break it to you. The world needs way more of his grace and of his mercy. And God showed and told in a different way. This this, this triumph, that that, that was a treaty. And, And it's not that this treaty that God compromises on sin. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that God overlooked sin and said, okay, it's fine. I believe that you guys are trying to do better and I'm just gonna turn the other cheek. No, God has to punish sin. And God punished sin. He poured out all of his wrath on the son. He punished it. And when, I, when, when, when we use the word treaty, a treaty is something that is made an agreement between two peoples or nations. And where I say treaty, I say that there was a treaty made between heaven and between earth, between God and between man. A reconciliation that was brought through Jesus Christ's triumph over sin, hell, and the grave. And now we are reconciled to God because he triumphed for us. There is now a reconciliation between two people groups and two nations that was only bought through the blood of Jesus. And it started at this triumphal entry. When I see, uh, um, when I think of a triumph, I was in college and there was this, uh, I don't know if you guys, your dorm rooms were like mine, but so we had like a bunch of guys, like eight, 10 guys in a room, way too many people. And so obviously we were crazy loud. We'd be playing video games. One of my roommates had these like giant speakers. And so we were low-key the obnoxious neighbors, right? Like we just played our music way too loud sometimes. And so we're on the top floor of our dorm. There was a, uh, a, a room right below us. And as we would play our music incredibly loud, way too loud, what would happen is that we would get a friendly knock probably with a room from our neighbors going like up at, 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 at our floor, their ceiling, right? They'd be like, hey, yo, stop it, essentially, right? And so what did we do? We were very, very kind and nice neighbors and we turned up the music, right? And so, hey, don't, don't you judge me. <laughs> hey, let's watch it. This is Holy Week. And so we turned up the music. And so as we're, we're having this um, war with our neighbors, um, obviously what do they do is they start turning up their music, right? And so we all of a sudden are in this unplanned war with our neighbors below us. Um, all of a sudden we're like, yo, we can't take this anymore. This is getting out of hand. We go and we like go downstairs, get in the elevator and we go up and approach these dudes. We go like six deep, right? Cause we're like, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if they're mad at us. We just ready for a fight. And so we're like, all right, let's do it. And so we end up going to these, going to these, uh, roommates, these, uh, uh, floor mates. Right. And, um, end up like reconciling this whole thing, man, if you stop playing, then we'll stop playing. All right. If you stop playing, we'll stop playing. And all of a sudden we like kind of fix this issue. Right. And, and, and that's a really minor form and a minor uh, uh, example of a treaty. But treaties are usually two-sided. As in, you do something, I'll do something. You do this and I'll do that. We'll both benefit, except for the treaty between heaven and earth. Except for the treaty between God and man. That one was one-sided. That we see Jesus coming 
not in his fully divine heavenly form, but in the form of a baby. We see that Jesus got ridiculed and we got redeemed. We see that Jesus got chastised and we got chosen. We see Jesus got beaten and we got blessed. Jesus got death and we got life. Jesus was coming to change things and triumph, but not in the way that we thought he would. There was this reconciliation between heaven and earth that spanned the distance that no man could, span, could, could cross except for God himself. And God came and spanned the distance. He was coming, but not how we would expect. And as I close, if Darren could come up and we could acknowledge that this treaty, this triumph, this reconciliation doesn't just stop with Jesus coming. But it's interesting because as soon as he enters into the city, there's a moment to where the crowds are crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Amazing titles, amazing praise. In the next week, we see another crowd that's not shouting, crown him, but crucify him. That's not shouting his praises, but shouting for him to die. We see two images and two receptions of his triumph. And it's interesting because I really do believe that these Jews were just disappointed. They expected God to come in a Davidic way, in an amazing way, and he came in a lowly way, in a meek way. They expected him to overthrow Rome so that they could live the life that they always dreamed and life would be a whole lot better. Maybe you expected that this would be over by now, that I would stop sinning by now, that I wouldn't have these issues anymore, that God would have blessed me by now, that my faithfulness would have produced some fruit by now, that I wouldn't have any more problems, that the bad things would stop and the good things were start. And we see that a crowd switched places and started yelling, crucify him to the king of the Jews. Disappointments come from unmet expectations and unmet expectations come from a misplaced hope. The quickest way to dethrone God is to be disappointed by him. That there was a group of people who were disappointed with God. Disappointed with this Messiah. Disappointed with this prophet. And said, if you had only done this differently, we wouldn't be in this position. God, if, if you came and did what I wanted you to do, everything would be fine. I would still be shouting, crown you. And we have a group of people who is no longer worshiping him, but who's asking for him to be crucified. In Proverbs, it says that, that, that a, a hope deferred makes the heart sick. And these people had a hope, a misplaced hope that God would do exactly what they expected him to do. But let me tell you something that that verse does not end there. It says that a hope deferred, it makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. 
And there is a longing that is going to be fulfilled, spoiler alert, in a few days where Jesus would continue this week and he would get to the end and he would not despise the shame, but he would go faithfully to the cross and he would sacrifice himself on behalf of all who would believe in him. And if you would just trust in him, then you might be saved. And he had said these things that you may have hope. He has triumphed that you may have hope. A voice crack, but still hope. I yell because I care. (laughs) And we see that Jesus in this moment is saying that they were hoping in better conditions. And I don't want us to be a church that merely hopes like the crowd in better conditions. Better circumstances. Because good times are going to come and go. Church, you know that the good times are going to come and they're going to go? That there are going to be good moments and bad moments. And we don't need better conditions because we have a risen Christ. We have a hope. A sure hope. That Jesus is king. And Jesus has been king before the prophet said so. Jesus has been king before the book said so. Jesus has been king before the disciples said so. Jesus has been king before the Jews said so. Jesus has been king before Kanye said so. And Jesus will be king afterward. Jesus is not just king because we call him king. And he's not just a king that comes to overthrow your bad situations. But he is a king who comes to save. I hear a lot of people saying, Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is, God is dope. And and I'm really happy for you that Jesus is your homeboy. I'm really happy that you and God are so close. But I surely pray that he is not just your homeboy. Hope that you understand that he is not just Hosanna, save me from my bad situation. And I understand God is your friend. He is one that sticks closer than a friend. I get it. But I surely hope that you understand that he is not just your homeboy, but he came to be your king. He came to rule and reign over every part of your life. And he makes no conditions and he concedes nothing. He is one who says, I am Lord of all, or I'm not Lord at all. I am king of all, or I'm not your king at all. We lay it down at his feet. And I love what AJ always says. He says, I would rather be, I just want to be a door holder in the house of the Lord. I just want to be a door holder. You know what? If he doesn't have to give me a good position, he doesn't have to give me a good job. He doesn't have to give me perfect kids. He doesn't have to give me a big bank account. He doesn't have to bless my business. He doesn't have to fulfill my dreams. I just want to be a door holder in the house of the Lord and I will be fine. Why? Because I don't deserve to be there in the first place. He is king. I don't deserve to be where he's at. And yet he invited us. He brought us in and, and, and we, he, we understand that if he is king, I'm going to use a dirty word here, a word that we don't like. If he is king, that means kingship means submission. Now, we don't like that word in our culture. We don't like submitting. We think it's a bad, I'm not going to submit. Submission. Don't God love, God, God wouldn't make me submit. I don't want to submit to that. I don't want to submit to her. I don't want to submit. If he is your king and you are his citizen. Submission is non-negotiable. He's king. And he comes leaving peace. This is my last point. I'll make it really short. He comes riding on a donkey. And this donkey is a seemingly insignificant thing. If I was Christ, I would have come on a dragon. 
I would have come on something white. Or even in Revelation, I would have come on the white horse. I would have done the thing. I would have been the most impressive spectacle you could ever see. And yet we see that Jesus, the King of glory, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords comes on a donkey? What we see as insignificant sometimes, God sees as invaluable. That he knew it had a purpose. And God chose to use this donkey and come in. And this is to fulfill a prophecy made in Zechariah 9.9 that says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. A colt, the foal of a donkey. And kings, when they would come back from battle, they would come riding on crazy horses. And we see that this king comes riding on a donkey. Why? Because a donkey was actually a symbol of peace. Did you know that? That a donkey was something that a king would ride back on sometimes to signify peace. And yet Jesus goes into trouble riding on a donkey. He comes leading with peace, leaning into peace, and leaving with peace. The prince of peace comes riding in on peace. Comes proclaiming peace comes announcing peace, comes riding in on this moment. And it's just fear not, O daughter Zion. He comes riding on a donkey. Whenever we start to go crazy, just remember that your God had came riding not in majesty like the world, but in meekness on a donkey. He came riding in peace and ushering himself into the last week of his life in this mysterious way that ushers in and prophesies the peace that he would come. And if Jesus Jesus led with peace and he knew what was coming, how much more so do we need to lead with peace when we don't know what's coming? We have no idea. And Jesus says he comes riding with peace and he says, fear not, O daughter of Zion. The most repeated command in the Bible to fear not. The most repeated command in the Bible. Why? Because he knew what was awaiting him and he still had peace. Your God knows what's awaiting you. So have peace. We're going to go back to that verse we read in the beginning. John 16, 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, church, for I have overcome the world. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you so much, but more importantly, you love us. God, we submit to you in this moment and we receive you as you triumph and as you leave your peace, God, we receive you. We acknowledge you and we trust you. 